Welcome back to another episode of the P2P Soapbox. I'm your host and P2P BFF, Marcy Maxwell. We have another great episode for you today as we explore the importance of understanding the ever-evolving P2P customers. It's no secret that our expectations as retail customers have rapidly changed over the past few years. We've switched from traditional grocery shopping to curbside pickup. Telehealth appointments have become the norm, and I know I'm not the only one who traded a gym membership for a Peloton and never went back. While some of these pandemic innovations have now gone by the wayside, many are here to stay and have forever changed what we want as customers. And the same is true for our peer-to-peer fundraisers. Great innovation has taken place in the P2P space over the last few years. But have we stopped to think if our new ideas are meeting the needs of our customers? Today's episode will focus on the critical steps of listening to understand. How can we better understand the needs, preferences, pain points of our participants and how they've changed? We'll discuss how consistent customer engagement can not only build trust and long-lasting connections, but also drive innovation, keeping our programs relevant in a dynamic market. And I have the perfect guest for this topic. I'm excited to welcome Mike Kinney, Vice President of Program Strategy and Community Experience at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. CMN Hospitals raises funds for 170 children's hospitals, supporting the health of 12 million kids annually across the U.S. and Canada. Mike joined the CMN Hospitals team more than 10 years ago after catching the fundraising bug as a college participant in the Miracle Network Dance Marathon program. In his current role, Mike oversees CMN Hospitals' peer-to-peer efforts, including his beloved Dance Marathon and Extra Life, which are both members of the 2022 U.S. Top 30. Through our discussion, you'll gain insights into how CMN Hospitals is prioritizing deep relationship cultivation and active listening to keep ahead of emerging trends and ensure they are meeting the ever-changing needs of their customers. We'll unravel the concept of customer intimacy, talk about generational differences, including the mysteries of Gen Z, and learn how tuning into your audience can serve as a catalyst for innovation. So let's jump right in to my conversation with CMN Hospitals, Mike Kinney. Mike, hi, welcome to the P2P Soapbox. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited you're here. I know Children's Miracle Network holds um, a special spot in a lot of people's hearts. Uh, like so many, uh, so many others out there, I got my fundraising start in college fundraising as well. So I know can only imagine the amount of people in the peer to peer space who, who got their, their start with Children's Miracle Network's dance marathon programs. And so really <laughs> excited to have you join us. I also got started in college through Dance Marathon, funny enough. So uh, kindred spirits. I know. I love it. Well, tell <laughs> us more. So let's start there. So tell me a little bit about that personal professional journey that led you to your role. Now you're the VP of Program Strategy and Community Experience at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Yeah, well, that is... um a loaded question. So uh, I, I would think if you're listening to this podcast, what you should know about me is that I'm 
somebody who truly values and prioritizes relationships. So if I'm doing something, if I'm working somewhere, if I'm picking up a hobby or part of a a community, it is due to the relationships there that are keeping me excited and motivated. Um, You know, I'm somebody who gravitates towards what's new and exciting and cutting edge. I think if you if you were to look at the adoption bell curve for really anything, I'm more on that early adopter side of things of just, hey, let's jump in, let's figure it out and we'll we'll see where the pieces land. Um, and I'm truly somebody who who goes where the energy is. And so for me, I discovered Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, like I just said, in college through the Miracle Network Dance Marathon program. And it was my opportunity to take what I was learning in the classroom and start applying it to the real world and do some good with it and really established a, a community on campus of people who became truly my best friends in life. And I met my wife through that program and now we have a child and it's just, Stop. it's the, the <laughs> it's been intertwined into literally every part of my being. Um, and so I, I had the honor of starting with Children's Miracle Network Hospital's national office 10 plus years ago and working in the programs and events department and truly getting to take those experiences of focusing on relationships and the power of community building and the peer support and network for one another to to my work and to everything that we do here. So um, I've got to consult other nonprofits along the way and their peer-to-peer fundraising strategies. I've had the honor of chairing convenings of thought leaders across our space, across um, focused on the topics of, of digital fundraising and what's next and what's new. And I am absolutely honored to be able to serve on that senior leadership team at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. So, so you're just like a P2P nerd, just like the rest of us. <laughs> you know, totally. <laughs> there was a time, Marcy, where I, I stepped away from peer to peer for two years and then it called me back. So here I am. <laughs> Same. I know there have been jobs out there where people are like, come on over to our side. And I'm like, no, peer to peer all day long. <laughs> As someone recently told me, they're like, it's totally your jam. And I'm like, it is. It's totally our jam. Um, so one of the things I have always loved about CMN hospitals is really when it comes to Dance Marathon, how much thought goes into understanding your students, right? Your college students that you're working with. And I know you and I, you and I talked a little bit before, but you were saying that y'all have been thinking about and designing your programs based on customer intimacy. So tell mm-hmm. me about that is like, what, what is that? Why is it so important? You know, what does that look like with all of the CMN hospital programs? I would actually expand it from Children's Miracle Network Hospitals programs to the entire organization. So Long story short, in 2020, we went through an org redesign, and I will oversimplify this. This is a 12 to 18 month process, but essentially what what, there's three types of organizations out there or three types of North Stars organizations follow, and it can be operational efficiencies, it can be around your products, or it can be around your customers. And at that time, we said our North Star was going to be our customers and that we needed to become customer intimate to understand what their needs are and making sure that we are going to market with solutions that meet those needs. And when you apply that kind of thinking to the nonprofit sector, what it really did was make sure that as we're looking at, let's say our partnerships or our, let's let's stick to peer-to-peer programming, that we are going to the market with 
with programs and resources that are needed and not necessarily hard sells to get people to get excited about. And so um, when we think about the, that applying to our peer-to-peer programs, we needed to establish that listening with our community members and our participants and our donors. And so we launched the community experience team. And I was able to, uh, had the pl- privilege of launching that at the organization in 2020. And it's a group of individuals truly focused on being the eyes and ears into our customers, but representing those customers in our internal conversations. So our strategy, our development, it's making sure that that customer voice is always there. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos is famous for saying, you know, your brand is what your customers say about you when you're not in the room. And so totally. it's really, yeah, it's, 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 it's this team's job to make sure that we're hearing those things. And that might be through a bunch of different ways. Um, but it, it's to essentially create spaces where people aggregate or congregate and they meet each other and they learn best practices and they get to engage and interact with your brand, but that you're creating those relationships where they feel safe sharing with you what they would say about you when you're not in the room, right? Yeah. Um, and getting to bring that back into the organization has been has been magical. It sounds like, you know, we hear the term donor-centric or supporter-centric, you know, and that certainly is, you know, centering the donor's needs and wants, but this is almost centering the relationship. So it's it's centering both the organization and the person and how they work together as opposed to just the donor. That or at least that's that's what I think of that. So that's really interesting. I, I think that's a great way to put it. When you are thinking about this, and I know again, a lot of us we think Children's Miracle Network hospitals and we think college students, right? But obviously you work with a lot of different groups and understanding that audience and understanding that customer, it is so much more than just demographics. Um, It's generational trends, it's differences in geography, it's new technology, it's what's competing for your audience's attention, right? Um, Yeah. So how does your team, in addition to listening, like, how does your team stay on top of those trends? And, you know, what things are catching your attention right now when you're listening to these consumers? Excellent question. And real quick, I think I would add that it's not just about understanding who your audience is, but it's about the listening and then the engaging with them as the follow-up, as that relationship building happens. And so um, that's really what that community experience team gets to do at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals every single day. And so one of the things that we've done is we've centralized where the monitoring and engagement happens across our social channels throughout the entire organization on this team. Wow. So it's it's able to say those closest to the work have a have a voice at the table when those decisions are being made. And so not just across our social channels, but we've we've even standardized the protocol across our support tickets and our fresh desk so that we can tag and categorize them consistently across the board and start to draw insights out of them and create recommendations for our customer teams or our program teams about what's really plaguing the community at this point, whether they've they've said it out loud to us or not. You know, we've we've conducted market research and that might be in the form of looking at like audiences, 
or it might be creating focus groups of our existing community members so that we do get that one-to-one interaction and FaceTime with them. And then most recently, we've created um, these, these, what we're calling community councils, where we're bringing together various individuals across our peer-to-peer programs. And it's it's not just our top fundraisers. It might be a, a first-year participant or a fifth-year participant. It might be somebody who maybe they don't raise a lot, but they're a team captain of somebody who does. And we're getting those various pieces of input and perspectives as as voices into our conversation so that we can really validate, did we hear this correctly? If we bring this, does this what you were all asking for? Does this meet that need that we uncovered? And that is um I mean it, it's it's a it's a it's necessary in today's state to truly build those relationships. Well and you know I think I think the idea of taking feedback and you know figuring out what problems how can we solve these problems is one thing, but actually going back and saying, hey, before we take this to market, did we understand your question right? Do we understand the issue? And is this going to work? I think that's the step that a lot of people miss, right? And whether that's resourcing or whether that's just, you know, sometimes in nonprofits, we work real fast and sometimes mm-hmm. we work real slow and it gets lost right in that phase of actually having that gut check and saying, did we hear you right? And is this going to fix it? That I love that because I think that gets missed a lot. Yeah. And I won't say that we remember it every single time, but when we do, magic happens, right? And it's the, it's it's like you said, it's being present and slowing down enough to say, wait a second, why did we build this in the first place? Oh, okay. Let's ask them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Now, so CMN Hospitals has really two signature peer-to-peer programs that have consistently been in some of the leading programs across the country. So you have Dance Marathon, and then you also have Extra Life. So Mm -hmm. first, just can you give us the 30 second on each one of those programs in case people aren't familiar? But really, I want to hear, you know, who are those core audiences? Um, and how are you using this idea of customer intimacy to drive innovation within, you know, both Dance Marathon and Extra Life? Sure, no, happy to. So let's start with Dance Marathon. We've talked about that a little bit already on the on the podcast. So Dance Marathon or Miracle Network Dance Marathon is our peer-to-peer program that takes place on high school and university campuses. And it's really about finding those student leaders who want to create a foundation on campus that engages the whole student body in fundraising for their local children's hospital. And that children's hospital might actually be on campus. That's the really special part about some of these universities, university partners. But, um, you know, the, the biggest draw there is it's, it's focused on engaging high school and college students on uh, professional development opportunities as they look to build their resumes and head out and to get their first job and in, in the uh, post-graduation, if you will. Uh, and it's uh, a way for them to meet other individuals on campus and build that community, something that we have learned is, is a top priority after the pandemic and after remote online learning and the change in campus culture. So when it comes to to customer intimacy and how we're using it to evolve our Dance Marathon program, um, you know, we just mentioned the the change in campus culture. We mentioned the impact of remote learning. And um, really, when we take a look at that audience and we have 
done our generational research and listened to our student leaders, uh, I think the best case example, we just wrapped up our Dance Marathon Leadership Conference. And that is where we brought 600 plus student leaders from across the United States together to talk about Dance Marathon on their college or high school campuses. And what's working, what's not working, where is their opportunity, what should we be paying attention to, what's what's plaguing their fundraising at their local local levels. And one of the pieces of feedback that we had heard loud and clear heading into this event was, we're burning out. You know, these student leaders are, in some cases, holding down multiple jobs just to be able to afford the college that they're going to. There's the societal pressures of having a life and relationships outside of the classroom, let alone performing in the classroom. And it's no secret that a mental health crisis has been declared for the that very generation that is leading our dance marathon program. And so we took that very seriously when they said, we're, we're burning out. This is a lot of work. And um, they look at Gen Z, or sorry, Gen Z looks at the millennial generation and they say, we don't want that type of burnout. Like we're going to create those healthy boundaries, right? Oh my. I, I, I get it. I'm part of the burnout generation. I get it. And totally. uh, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And so we took it very seriously. And um, so we took a look at the data. And when we looked at the data, we saw that most of the fundraising happens a week out from the event, right? It's 50 some odd percent happens the week leading into their big event. Not and, stressful at all for <laughs> the professional fundraisers hoping that money comes in. Right, right. And but when there's university students who are um, working year round for recruitment and fundraising, and that amount of money comes in so close to the event, and they're telling us they're burned out, well, there's a simple solve here. Let's work smarter, not harder. And let's figure out how and when do we need to create those moments on campus to capture attention and urgency around recruitment? And then when does it make sense for activation? And so we spent four days in St. Louis talking about how Dance Marathon is no longer a marathon, that it can be a sprint, and that we can get uh-huh. smart with our actions versus face this burnout that I think we can solve. Make it a relay. Marathon relay. <laughs> Pass off from one thing to the next. I love it. Yeah. That's yep. really it, smart. And again, I think about different fundraising campaigns. And, you know, we always like to say your your walk programs, your cycling events, it's a year-round program. And it can be really hard if you're not, you do a lot of work before you start seeing the numbers. Mm-hmm. And that can be exhausting for a staff person or a volunteer or a team captain in any of these peer-to-peer programs to feel like I'm doing everything I need to do. I know I'm laying the foundation. I know if we build it, they will come, but I'm not seeing anything yet. So I think I think that's a really important, you know, it's a really important recognition for this generation. Yeah. Well, thank you. And and I think the um you mentioned building the foundation and you can you can bet with everything happening in these students' lives that building that foundation is one of many things that they do on a day-to-day basis and relationships amongst those student leaders is so important. And so we actually built that into part of the sprint model too, is when do you focus on your internal teams? When do you focus on your internal relationship? And then when do you go external? And so 
it's just, it's a, I like to use it as that great example of understanding who you're asking to fundraise on your behalf and what you're asking them to do and then helping them do it. Absolutely. Now let's go back to extra life. Sure. That's, is there some crossover with the audience? Is there not crossover with the audience? You know, we think of gamers and everybody just thinks it's the kids. And I know that is not always <laughs> the truth. So tell us what extra life is and, and who, who the extra lifers are. Sure. And that the the idea that it is the kids could not be further from the truth, right? So Extra Life's core audience is kind of the the mid to older millennials. So we're looking at 28 to 35 year olds that are moms and dads who are gamers growing up and now they have had kids of their own and they've needed their local children's hospital and they're looking for ways to give back through this passion they've had their entire life. And so it's actually, um, in today's state, Extra Life could almost be as a way that we further engage a dance marathon student as they age out of dance marathon, as they graduate. You know, we've, with uh, 2022, we saw kind of that COVID bubble burst. And so Extra Life did excellent in 2020. It did excellent in 2021 because we were already positioned to be digital first and didn't necessarily have to deal with that last minute scramble of what many organizations had to go through of canceling in-person events and finding new ways to keep people engaged. When you think about the audience, this was an audience that preferred to be engaged online. Um, but as a result, in 2020, 2021, you saw this, this surge of nonprofits move towards the live streaming space and how to engage people digitally. And we were all using the same channels to try to get the same person and capture their attention and justify why our cause was more urgent than the next one. And I think what I would say that we've experienced there is, is almost kind of a, a digital fatigue, if you will. And so we're taking a lot of the, the customer intimate intimacy and the learnings from the peer-to-peer -peer conference earlier this year about and when we look at the growth in the top 30, where is that growth coming from? It's coming back online for those in-person runs, walks, bike rides, those in-person events. How can we be capitalizing on solving that digital fatigue by bringing extra life a little bit more in-person, a little bit more hybrid? So um, we are going to, to start exploring what do those in-person game day fundraising events look like, those land parties that people can attend in person and get to meet the families that they have been fundraising year round for. And honestly, when you talk about the crossover between Dance Marathon and Extra Life, it might not necessarily be with the audiences today, but it is certainly there with those best practices of how do you get the excitement in a room bottled up where somebody can take that home with them and come again the next year, right? So um, we're looking at the the digital fatigue and how we we fight yeah. that with the, with the Extra Life program. That's it's really interesting to hear and it'll be really fun to watch. You know, we hear so many people again that went that hybrid model, digital first model, and you have not heard a lot of people talking about we started as digital first and now we want to add an in-person component. Right. But I think that's really smart because, um, you know, we're while we you know live on the Internet using my air quotes, we don't live on the Internet. <laughs> and so I think that's a really great idea. And I am going to I'll give you like that five dollars for plugging the conference um, <laughs> the next you, time I see you, which my, I appreciate. <laughs> um, so let's so 
I mean, I could talk millennials all day long since I am one too, but let's talk about Gen Z a little bit more. So, you know, we often hear, you know, nobody understands this generation, (laughs) you know, what what even are they? And so can you share, like, what have y'all learned about Gen Z through your programs and how are you adapting to this next generation of fundraisers and donors? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's been an interesting and fun discovery process. I think if you're in the peer-to-peer space, you know that if you're going to be successful, it's all about how you adopt and how you stay curious. And so um, through our research into Gen Z, and obviously we've got a, a great community to be able to to ask these questions with directly and interact with directly, but um, through some of our marketplace research, it's very clear that this is a, a we versus me generation that wants to make the world a better place for everyone involved, not just, you know, the people that they, they're used to seeing or working with. It's, it's a we versus me mentality through and through. And so, um, they make sure to prioritize that and where they shop and the brands that will help them make that positive impact on the world. So uh, from that perspective, it's about positioning our cause as even though it's not necessarily something that um, many of them have had to deal with directly, that it is something that a lot of people in our worlds today do. I mean, it's, it's 62 kids every minute that walk into a children's hospital. And that's not just one child, that's that entire family walking through those doors. And um, it's one in 10 families, I think, in America that have needed their local children's hospital. And so there is a significant need there when it's the we versus me piece. Um, But we also know that this is an organ or this is a generation that wants to pave their own way. And so these legacy programs might not necessarily be the most appealing piece for them. And we've got to figure out how we make sure that our peer-to-peer programs remain fresh and new and exciting and tailored to their individual lifestyles and that DIY mentality. Well, and I think, and they're all such digital natives. Mm -hmm. And I think while, you know, peer-to-peer fundraising technology has grown leaps and bounds and the 20 years since I've been using it, there is still even this whole other level of expectation from this group of people who've said, I mean, I can, you know, I can order pizza to my house at 2 a.m. whenever I want and pay for it without getting out my credit card. <laughs> Why is it so hard for me to fundraise for you? And I think it's how do we, it's it's a hard challenge to meet their expectations. Um, they're a, not a, they're a, discerning group. I was going to say fickle. They're not, they're a discerning group, but they're like, if if you can't do this, then what other inefficiencies do you have at, with my donor dollars? Um, so I think that's really, it's really interesting. I also have heard some things. And so I have nieces and nephews and they are square in this generation and thinking about the idea, not necessarily about healthcare, but about equitable access to healthcare and things yep. like that. I feel like it's it's sometimes it's slight changes in how we talk about things. It's not enough just to say, you know, this is how we treated this child. Isn't that wonderful? Mm-hmm. And now he's doing well. It's everything else that goes into how this child and all other children will have access because 
the fundraising. So it's, I'm sure some slight changes to your, some of your messaging too. Absolutely. It's, it's all about how you position it. And it's, it's, you know, this is a generation that is looking for nonprofits and causes to remain loyal to. And so they're, they're looking for places where they can establish that trust, not just with the dollars, but the impact of those dollars and the intent behind them. And it is about communicating that ripple effect that when you give a dollar here, it's this isn't just the thing. It, it keeps going. That impact keeps rippling through your community. And, um, you know, you brought up a, a really good point about them being digital natives and that they don't necessarily remember life before social media. But one thing that we found, I think, that would be really interesting for for your listeners is while they are primarily on social media to, you know, consume content, and that might be where they they prefer to receive their news. What we found anyway, is that they actually prefer to do the in person, more analog fundraising efforts. Like when you ask them where they want to fundraise, a mobile app is the lowest response on the board. They don't want it, but they want a bake sale. Oh my gosh, the cycle begins again. We're going to start back where we began. Oh my gosh. So Mike, if people are listening and no doubtly inspired by all the great work that you're doing, where can they learn more about what you're doing at CMN Hospitals? Sure. Well, they they can certainly visit cmnhospitals.org or if you want to check out our individual programs, it's extra-life.org or dancemarathon.com. So it's uh, Extra Life for the Millennials. And dance marathon for the Gen Zs, basically. Today it is, yes. Today it is. I know. <laughs> Who knows what Gen Alpha is going to do to us, right? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, Mike, this was great. I love this perspective um, on what y'all were doing when you were talking about customer support. I was thinking they are becoming like the Nordstrom of nonprofits, right? Which I think, <laughs> I hope you consider a compliment, right? Yeah, um, thank you. But I think this is really great. What I, I love about these programs is... Again, the amount of people that this has started this them on a trajectory of fundraising for their entire lives, right? A lot of us got started in college fundraising. And so I think if only there was a way to measure that, right? To see how many people have influenced that you have influenced into into this field. So I would love to just say thank you so much for joining us today. and we may have just have to have you back once you're ready to talk about the Gen Alpha, the Gen Alpha crew. <laughs> well, thank you for having me and thank you for letting us share about the, the work of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. The P2P Soapbox is produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Russo. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support the P2P Soapbox is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.